0: Good morning. Please be seated. We have one case for argument this morning, Waiters versus the State of Minnesota. Ms. Rosenberg, you've reserved five minutes for rebuttal. You may proceed when you're ready. May it please the
1: court, for the record, I am Leslie J. Rosenberg, Assistant Appellate Defender representing Mr. Ricky Darnell Waiters. This case is on direct appeal from a judgment of conviction. Um, as this court knows from one subdivision of first-degree murder, and Mr. Waiters was sentenced to a life sentence and a consecutive sentence of 180 months for attempted first-degree murder. The predicate felony offense for this subdivision of first-degree murder was drive-by shooting. The key issue I'd like to discuss at oral argument this morning is that there was not a drive-by shooting. The state did not prove a drive-by shooting. And although, as lay people might understand drive-by shooting, and they may think that it simply means you shoot at someone from a car, that is not the legal definition under the Minnesota statute and the statute was a carefully crafted and limited in nature statute, limited by the legislature. Now, I want to, although I'm focusing on this issue, I just want to note that I'm not conceding the merits of the other issue I've raised in my brief, and we understand the standard of review, but my client feels very strongly we're not conceding the self-defense claim, and although my client did intentionally shoot at Mr. Johnson and Mr. O'Brien, he did testify he did not intend to kill them. He did not shoot to kill. He only shot in self-defense to stop them. That being said, I would like to focus on the meaning of the words at or toward in the drive-by shooting statute. I think that is the key to this case. Counsel, I want to
2: ask you about that over here. Isn't it, uh, the words, it's not just at in, that, in the statute, but it has or towards a building. Doesn't that um, broaden the crime? I mean, you don't have to shoot at a building, you just have to shoot in the general direction of a building.
1: Yes, Your Honor, the, the statute uses both words. Toward means in the direction of, and I would note that it doesn't mean in the general direction of, and again, if, if you look at respondent's brief on page 24, he has um, the dictionary definition. And it says, in the direction of, near. So in the direction of needs to be distinguished from in the vicinity of or in the proximity of. So what at would mean, for example, if, if I had a weapon and I'm standing right here and, uh, The flag of Minnesota is very close to me, and I picked up my gun and I fired at the flag that's at. It's very direct. Toward means in the direction of, so that if the bullet, the bullet's trajectory is toward the flag, and if there's no intervening force or interruption, that bullet is going to reach the flag. I think that the case State v. Stevens, which was decided by the Court of Appeals in 1998, gives a very good understanding of what toward means versus at. So in State v. Stevens, you have two cars, and one car is chasing another car. And they're going at speeds of up to 85 miles an hour. the car that's chasing the other car, the defendants in there, they want to shoot the victim in in the car that they're following. But the victim is inside the car and, and it's a high speed chase. These cars are moving. So one defendant leans out of the window and he shoots. So he's not shooting at the victim because the victim isn't standing right in front of him. He's not standing still, he's shooting toward the victim because he's shooting toward the car. And if, if there had been no movement of the car in front of him, if there had been no intervening force of that car making a right turn, the trajectory of the bullet was toward the victim in the car.
3: Counsel, let's go back to your hypothetical situation of shooting at the flag. Let's say you take the gun and you aim one inch to the right of the flag and then pull the trigger. Have you shot toward the flag?
1: No, Your Honor.
3: At- yeah, and let, I mean and let's assume maybe you're not a perfect marksman you your, your shot may vary an inch or two so it may or may not hit the flag are, aren't you still shooting toward the flag
1: not under this statute and I would contrast this with for example and I didn't cite these statutes in my brief but I believe the court and the experienced responded are familiar we have statutes for example that criminalize selling drugs in a school zone in a park zone in a public housing zone. And those statutes don't simply say, uh, you can't sell uh, near a school, because how would we know what near means? Is it an inch from a school? Is it a mile from the school? Is it 10 miles from the school? So we have definitions of school zone and park zone. For example, school zone, 300 yards within the radius of the school.
4: Council, what is the significance of uh, Vang to your argument?
1: The significance of Vang is that the defendant shot at and toward the garage, and the bullets went into the garage. So that was a clear example that the court was not saying, well, there was a shooting in proximity to a building or near a building. And to continue with my other point. Counsel, you just
5: said at and toward, and as I understood earlier, you were trying to differentiate between at and toward.
1: Well, at is more direct. So toward talks about the trajectory of the the bullet, the direction of the bullet. And at simply means uh, it's more direct. You're right there, you point at something. So again, the example would be in Stevens, if if something is is a little ways away, so the victim is inside of the car, the cars are moving, and the bullet is going, the trajectory of the bullet is in the direction of the car. Now, for a school zone, for example,
5: it would Would be- Counsel, that seems like you're focusing on the trajectory of the bullet rather than what the person is doing who's actually aiming. I mean, they're shooting at a person in the vehicle. It's not, so why would we focus on the trajectory versus where the person's actually aiming?
1: Toward, if you look at the, at the definition of toward and you look at respondent's brief, the dictionary says in the direction of, and then there's a colon and near. So there's a, there's a, a nearness issue, an issue of
6: physical distance. So for example- well, Counsel, if, let me stop you there. Here, the facts, and, and tell me if I, I don't have them correct, but the facts are that the victims and other p- patrons of the bar we're standing really at the back door of the bar. They were standing in that sort of gap between the bar and this trailer, but closer, it seems to me, to the back door. Many of the witnesses testified that the victims were standing at the back door of the bar uh, where people stood to smoke. So why isn't that toward uh, either that building or, as we know, there was a house behind them? But, but my point is that they were standing close enough to the bar that multiple uh, witnesses testified and described it as standing near the back door? In the vicinity of,
1: in the proximity of, is not toward. So if we interpret, the, if the court were to interpret the statute, and I believe it will be incorrect, that um, firing toward or at a building means firing anywhere near a building, what does that mean? Does it mean you fire hundred feet from the building two miles from the building five miles from the building so going back to the statutes of school zone we know we have due process we have notice. we know that if you sell drugs within 300 yards radius you violate the statute here in terms of drive-by shooting if we say well toward means near what does near mean mean, Council
6: can we be informed on that topic about what near means by the location of, say, the shell casings from the bullets. Doesn't that doesn't that tell us something about uh, the vicinity here?
1: Well, it could in a different case, but here the shell casings were in the car, so that doesn't tell us anything. Now if you well, look... There were
6: bullet fragments found near the, in the driveway of the adjacent house, right? Well, there was one bullet... And one bullet found in the chair, the lawn chair, I think, that was that was next to the bar. The chair and the driveway were not, the
1: trajectory of the bullets going to the chair and the fence was not toward the building. So I think it's important to understand the scene and what happened. Appellant's car backed down the alley and went south on Ewing and stopped at the midpoint in this gap, this eight-feet gap. And he's sitting in the driver's seat, so he's, he's furthest from the curb, but he's going south to so the car park right at the curb. Now he's in a geo tracker. He's shooting, he's sitting down, and he's shooting across the passenger seat and out the window. He was not leaning out the window. So his, his ability to fire was limited by the, the area of this window. Now, the bar, EB's bar, is to The southwest of his car. The trajectory of the bullets, and this was testified to by the state's expert witness, the trajectory of the bullets were east to west. And what that means is that he picked up his hand, he fired straight at Mr. Johnson, who was about 15 feet in front of the window. He fired straight, and that bullet went straight. And straight means it went east to west. Now one bullet and, and and there was no match made, but the expert testified that the bullet found in the driveway was not inconsistent with a 40 caliber weapon. But what's key is that there was no house behind the fence. There was no house there. That was a backyard. And the fence was a six foot high privacy fence. So sitting in his car in the driver's seat, Picking up that gun and firing out his window, it defies the laws of physics to think that that bullet could go out of the window and suddenly rise up in the air, six feet, seven feet up in the air, and go over the fence, and then veer left to hit the house. It couldn't happen. It didn't happen. And I think it's very important to look at two things. If you look at page 25 of Respondent's Brief, he says, Defendant fired to the west in the direction of the building. West means straight ahead. The bar was not to the west of the car, and there's no transcript site there. There can't be a transcript site because that's an incorrect statement. And if you read the closing argument of the trial prosecutor, and I think this is very important, she never states that appellant fired in the direction of the building because he did not do so. She says, he deliberately and meticulously moved the barrel of his gun and aimed for his targets. Mr. Johnson counsel, and Mr. O'Brien.
4: Counsel, let me ask you this question. I'm, I'm concerned that, and this is a question I will engage uh, opposing counsel with, um, exactly what the legal standard is that you would have us apply here. Um, what? Are, how are we to instruct the jury? What are, what are we to use for the standard as to whether or not a drive-by shooting has occurred in the statutory sense. Um, I think there's a possibility here that if the, if, the, if there isn't precision to the language, firing um, a weapon in, an, in a municipal area with buildings around would always qualify for uh, a drive-by shooting. How do we deal with that problem?
1: Exactly, Your Honor. And the way you deal with it, I think, is to Uh, abide by the plain, clear, and unambiguous language of the statute. So I think the the jury was properly instructed. The jury was told a drive-by shooting is you, you fire from a car at or toward a building. And toward means in the direction of. So you look at the trajectory of the bullet. In Vang, they said, well, obviously, the trajectory of the bullet was at the garage, toward the garage, because it landed in the garage. So here, what we have is we have no bullets, no bullet holes in any building. We have no building behind or in front of any of the people so who counsel, were shot.
5: If there, let's say there's a, a shot fired, it ricochets and goes a different direction and kills somebody, then, then where would you stand on that?
1: If the bullet's trajectory was at or toward a building and the only reason, and it reached the building and then ricocheted off, then it was fired toward the building if it ricocheted off of something before it reached the building, and it would have reached the building but for something interfering, then we can say toward. Here is where we cannot say toward, where a building is to the left of, of, for example, myself, and I'll use the flag as an example. So the flag is to the left of me. I pick up my gun and I aim it at that flag. That is not toward the American flag, that is toward, the Minnesota flag. And this is what happened here. Mr. Johnson was standing in front of the car's window. The appellant aimed at him, aimed at Mr. O'Brien, who was a little to his right, about 10 feet behind him. And E.B.'s bar is over here to the left.
2: And that's why- Counsel, what about the testimony in the record that said, from one of the witnesses, that said he was aiming uh, across uh, you know, a spectrum, and we, we know from uh, the shell casings in the car that there were six shots, so there weren't just the two that hit each of the, of the victims. Um, we have to take the evidence in, in most favorably to the jury's verdict, so doesn't that support that there was a whole uh, range of trajectory there?
1: No, Your Honor, it does not, and that was not the testimony. The testimony was that he raised his hand and he moved it left to right. But what he was limited by was the area of the window in the geo tracker, because he wasn't leaning out of the window. Had he tried to aim toward E.B.'s bar, he would be shooting through the interior of his car or through the windshield, and that didn't happen. And that's why the trajectory of the bullets east to west, in a straight line. Hit Mr. Johnson, hit Mr. O'Brien, hit the chair, hit the fence. That's all in a straight line. And there wasn't any testimony otherwise. The officers testified that um, the the bullet that was recovered was in the driveway, and it actually was a paved area uh, between the house and the detached garage. And if you look at the exhibits, and I would specifically ask you to look at Exhibit 170, Exhibit 148, Exhibit 149, you'll see there was no house. But the bullet couldn't have gone over the fence in any case. The bullet can't come straight out of the car window and suddenly turn left. It defies the laws of physics.
4: What do we do about the uh, bullet that went through the arm of the plastic chair, which is in the vicinity of the building? Does that matter?
1: It it doesn't matter in terms of, of, of it only matters in the sense that it again shows the trajectory of the bullet was not toward the building. It was, as the expert testified, east to west in a straight line back towards fence.
7: Does it matter what, the, what his target was? You know, there's a lot of language in our case law that talking about drive-by shooting is the target is the building or the vehicle. And so does that, does that piece of it matter, Interpreting at and toward in terms of Was he actually shoot? Was his idea to shoot at a building or a car as opposed to shooting at a person?
1: I I think that Vang is instructive here. And Vang um, discussed the difference between.
7: No, Vang was dealing with recklessly, though. That wasn't interpreting at or toward, right? And we've never interpreted the words at or toward as a matter of holding as opposed to dicta. Wouldn't that be accurate? You can explain Vang, but.
1: I, I think that there's an implicit. Uh, interpretation Vang. I think that in Vang, in, in talking about reckless, it defines reckless as talking about the manner of discharge, how he fired. So if he fired toward the building, it doesn't matter whether he intended to hit someone in the building, whether he intended to fire at the building, it just means that that gun was pointed or that a bullet was fired and its trajectory was toward the building.
7: Okay, so you're not making an argument today that because he was aiming at a person, as opposed to kind of the actus reus being here targeting a building or a car, that's not part of your argument.
1: No, and, and I would point to, um, and I cited to in my brief, if you look at the trial prosecutor's PowerPoint, and that's uh, Exhibit Q, I think it's very interesting. He. Uh, t- there were two of them. But they, they cited the proper language of the drive-by uh, statute, um, recklessly um, firing towards a, from a car towards a uh, vehicle or a building. But then there's, there's a little sentence beneath it which says, shot at a person near a building. So really what is going on here today, Respondent is asking you to write a new statute. And this statute would be, if a person, if you fire from a car, and you and you, and there's a building anywhere nearby, and it could be two feet, a hundred feet, a hundred miles. There's no limitations. We can simply say, well, you shot toward a building because there was a building near. But we don't know what near means because unlike a school zone or a park zone. There's no limiting distance.
6: Counsel, before you go further, I want to just make sure I understand your argument. And this is really in res- I'm getting at your response to Justice Thiessen. I got the impression from your brief that one of your arguments was that because Mr. Waiters uh, was firing at the victims, firing at Johnson and O'Brien, that he could not also have been firing at or towards the building, that those are two separate things. I mean, that's how you start out your brief, is that the state has to prove these two separate two separate uh, crimes, but are you abandoning that? Because in your answer to Justice Thiessen, it, it sort of seemed like you are. You're not making that distinction any, any, any longer. Am I hearing you correctly or not?
1: I think what, what I was trying to say in my brief is that in this case, the shots fired were deliberately fired at the two victims. And the victims were not standing in front of or behind or in a building. So therefore, even under the state's theory, and and if you look at the state's evidence in a light most favorable to the state, under the the standard of view, appellant couldn't have been firing toward the building because he only fired. At Mr. Johnson and Mr. O'Brien,
6: counsel, isn't that directly contradicted by Vang? Because Vang in Vang, we said those two things can—they're not mutually exclusive. Those two things can happen simultaneously. You can be firing at someone and also recklessly discharging that firearm towards a building. Those are those those are not mutually exclusive uh, items.
1: In some cases, they are not mutually exclusive. An example would be if Mr. Johnson were standing in front of E.B.'s bar so that when he was shot, he was shot and, and, and a bullet went into the building as well, as in Vang, then we would have two separate acts, two separate mental states, but they're happening at the same time. That's what happened in Vang, but that Counselor, didn't that, happen that here. That brings me
6: back to what do we do about the testimony that puts Mr. Johnson and the other victims at the back door of the bar?
1: Well, the testimony was not that Mr. Johnson was at the back door of the bar when he was shot. And I would ask this court to look again, or look for the first time, at Exhibit 24, which is Officer Rystead's squad video. And you can see out the windshield of the squad, it drives north on Ewing, and you can see where Mr. Robert Johnson is laying. And he's laying midpoint in the gap. He is not by the back door, and that's what the the witnesses testify to. Yes, they came out the back door to smoke, but then they were in this gap area at the picnic tables, by the chairs, Mr. Johnson was approaching the geotracker when he was shot. So I think that the facts are very important in this case, and we do have the best evidence being the squad video as to where Mr. Johnson was. Well, counsel, if we, if we take the
6: facts most favorable to the verdict, which we're required to do, it seems to me there, there's some conflict about whether Mr. Johnson was approaching the vehicle when he was shot. Um, I think you're right. There is some testimony from one of the, the, the victims, Mr. O'Brien, in fact, I think says that, but all the other witnesses said that, that he was not. And so the jury, I mean, I, I think we have to take
1: Your Honor, I I beg to disagree. I think that the witnesses' testimony were that he was approaching the car, and the best evidence is, of course, the squad video which shows where Mr. Johnson was when he was shot. If he was shot and his feet were five feet from the curb, if he was shot, he fell, and all the witnesses said that, he was shot and he fell, he can't have fallen there and been at the back door. It's not possible. So again, the squad video, is the best evidence. It proves where Mr. Johnson was, and it's my understanding from the record that there was no disagreement. He was starting to approach the car, and that's why the expert testified the trajectory of the bullets was east to west in a straight line. Otherwise, Mr. Johnson couldn't have been shot, because again- Council, what rule of law are you asking us to adopt? I'm asking you to simply continue interpreting the drive-by shooting statute using the plain meaning of the words at or toward, and to state again affirmatively that those terms are not ambiguous, they're clear, and to follow how they were used and interpreted in State v. Stevens and in State v. Vang.
0: Council, can you give an example of recklessly firing toward a building that would not be recklessly firing at the building?
1: Well, I think that's just a a difference in terms of nearness. So if, if I'm at the back of the auditorium here and I point my gun to try and hit the Minnesota flag, I would say I'm firing toward the flag. Standing right here, I would probably more likely say, I fired at the flag. So again, if you look at page 24, response brief, and he cites the dictionary definition of toward, it says, quote, in the direction of colon near. So for example, let's say I pointed my gun towards the American flag, the Minnesota flag here, and said, I am firing towards Spain. OK, it's 5,000 miles away, but I'm firing towards Spain. That's somewhat absurd. So there is a, a, a nearness, a, a physical, a spatial component to toward, and at is closer, toward is a little bit further, and then and then we stop. So again, the key thing is toward is in the direction of. We look at the trajectory. And here we had undisputed, uncontroverted, Expert testimony, the state's expert, the trajectory was east to west. And 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 yet,
3: counsel, you say standing at that podium, if you aimed one inch to the right of the Minnesota flag, you're not firing in the direction of the Minnesota flag?
1: If the trajectory of the bullet is such that it wouldn't hit it, it doesn't meet the at or toward requirement. Now, the legislature could... Whether it hits
3: it depends on how good a shot you are.
1: The legislature could easily redraft this, this statute. They could say... If you shoot, recklessly fire, at or toward an object within 10 feet on either side, if you don't interpret this as at or toward as I am, I am suggesting, which is how it was used in Stevens, you have a problem with the Constitution of the statute being overbroad. So let's say I, I say to my friend, I'm going to shoot toward that flag. And I point my gun here and and my hand you know or here, and the bullet whizzes by ten feet from the flag. Should I be charged? What if it 's a hundred feet? you're saying an inch, but if the legislature wanted to have a range where you could miss but st- it's still toward, they could redraft the statute just the way they drafted the school zone, the park zone and the public housing <laughs> zone statutes. Those statutes don't say. Council, what, so,
5: what word does reckless play, then, in your definition?
1: Reckless simply means we don't have to prove, the state doesn't have to prove intent. So the example they gave in Va- Vang is, let's say, I intentionally want to kill someone, and I, want, and I do it in a reckless manner. I take a bomb, put it in a car, and, and I park it, say, in the school parking lot <clears throat> when the bell rings. So that's a reckless method of killing someone, but we would look at, did I have the intent to kill someone? And then you look at the overall circumstance, did I have a grudge against this person, do I know the person, was I targeting a certain person, did I know this person was coming out of the school door? Um Com- at a counsel, bot- but,
2: but our cases put a limiting gloss on this because you have to do this, you do, have to do the tort in a manner where it shows a a disregard of a substantial and unjustifiable risk of injury to other people or property. So that, I mean, that kind of sets outer limits on your toward, correct?
1: No, Your Honor, that's not correct. The conscious disregard of a substantial risk means that you are firing toward a building and you don't care that it's a building that someone could be living
2: there. So for example, um, you know, Appellant fired out to take, excuse me for interrupting, but to take your example, if I'm firing towards Spain, I mean, there's no substantial risk that people in Spain are going to be affected by that bullet. I mean, to me, that's a limiting factor on how broad um, toward can be interpreted in our cases.
1: Yes, it's a limiting factor on toward, but it's not a limiting factor on reckless. So for example, there was no house behind the fence an appellant who was trained in the use of firearms and he's sitting in his car, he would know that when he fired out his window that there was no possibility that that bullet was going to rise up in the air and go over the top of the fence, which it did not. So even though you could say uh, he was firing recklessly out of his window, he wasn't consciously disregarding a substantial risk that he would hit the 83 or 84-year-old woman living in the house Behind the fence. But bullets go through fences and houses all the time. But there was no house behind the fence. The bullet I'm saying in terms of the bullet going over the fence, he would know that. So that's not consciously disregarding a risk, is for example in Vang, you're shooting at someone and they're standing in front of a garage. And, and, and you're shooting six times, and you're not really paying attention to where you're shooting, so you hit the person, you hit the garage, so that's a reckless dis- discharge now, so at a is, building.
6: How is that materially different from the facts here, where he's driving and he's now in front of the bar and he's shooting at victims and other individuals who are standing, even if we take your version, they're standing in the gap. The the gap is relatively small, small enough that one of the bullets hits one of the chairs that's standing in the gap. So you have an individual firing at in a densely populated residential area, firing at a bar, firing at where homes are present, firing where individuals are, are clearly standing on the street. How is that not reckless disregard?
1: reckless disregard i agree it means that you're firing your gun uh in disregard of a risk but the drive by shooting says you have to recklessly fire a gun you're in a car or you've just exited a car and you fire towards a building so that's very limited and what we don't have here is toward a building and also if you look again at the closing argument of the state for example, on, on transcript page 2909, uh, the, the prosecutor stated he intended to shoot Sean O'Brien with those two shots. He aimed to kill, and during his shooting, he hit the fence that then the bullet went into the driveway. So there was no shooting toward a building.
0: Counsel, your red light's on.
1: Okay. You have Thank five, you. You have five minutes for
0: rebuttal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Hersey.
8: may it please the court, counsel, my name is Scott Hersey. I'm a special assistant Winona County attorney and I represent the respondent the state of Minnesota in this appeal. I would first point out that the appellant shot towards three buildings. I would submit that the trailer, according to the testimony of Sorum uh, and O'Brien, was a building, a structure uh, that was suitable Uh, for providing shelter to human beings. As you can see, the back of that has been modified. There's an entry door, stairs, there's a railing, and in fact, both Sorum and O'Brien testified that that was used for storage. Council,
0: what's the distance involved? So how far, uh, the people who were shot, how far were they from the bar? How far were they from the house? How far were they from the trailer? What does the record tell us?
8: The, the testimony differed somewhat, but I would submit that uh, it's very similar. Sorum testified that when the shots were fired, he was standing by the back door by Robert Johnson, and he heard six shots. O'Brien testified that he was by the back door by Robert Johnson um, when the shots were fired. Um, in addition, he thought he heard five or six shots. Mr. Leguiza saw three flashes of the gun and then two more. He testified at the time... Robert Johnson, Mr. Sorum, and Mr. Jacobson were three feet from the back door. And in viewing the photographs, uh, including Exhibit 3 and the group exhibit in uh, Exhibit 214, I would ask the court to take a look at the chair that was right by the back door. There are several chairs, and one has to be sure they're looking at the right one, but it's the one that the BCA forensic scientist described as the one having bullet impacts C and D. It went through the arm of the chair And if you look at those exhibits... So you're
0: saying the testimony is then that the victims were about three feet from the bar when they were shot?
8: That is what the testimony indicates. Now, O'Brien did indicate that when the appellant stopped in the street and was saying something to the individuals by the back door, um, Mr. Johnson had just started to head in that direction um, when he was shot, and then he fell immediately when he was shot. But, um, so Mr.
0: Johnson is moving away from the bar.
8: He is moving alongside. He would be moving to the east along the back, just starting to. But still, O'Brien said he was Paral- by the
3: parallel back door. to the bar. Is that the way he's moving? Pardon me. Is he moving parallel to the bar?
8: Parallel to the bar. Okay. Uh, and that was the only person that indicated that uh, was Mr. O'Brien. Mr. Leguiza. And Mr. Sorum both said that he was right by the back door. And I would submit that the photographs show that the chair where, that was hit by the bullet appears to be about three feet from the back door, so it is very close to the building.
4: Council, the thing that, that, that concerns me about this case that I worry about is that under the state's theory, the drive by shooting becomes sort of an all purpose charge. If you have have a discharge of a firearm in any kind of a municipal setting, with buildings um, around. Um, the argument's going to be made that well, it was at or it was you know at or in the direction of a building. And I'm just wondering what the limiting principle is here. For, for example, if if there's a firearm discharged inside a building, I mean obviously uh, that you know there's an argument that it was fired at the building as well. What what do we do about that?
8: I would suggest to the court that the limiting factors are at or toward, and toward is in the direction of or near, and recklessness. If the defendant in that type of situation consciously takes the risk, the substantial and unjustifiable risk, that firing that firearm may hit a building under the definition in this court's cases, that is sufficient if it's reckless, so, but it still has to be at or toward.
4: But but in some parts of, uh, of a municipal area, urban area, city area, um, any discharge yeah. of a firearm is at risk of hitting a building. So what do we do about that? Maybe we don't do anything, but what? But, but you see what I'm concerned about. It becomes, well, anyway.
8: I, I, I see the court's concern, and that was expressed in State versus Stevens. They pointed out the fact that this was chasing a car, shooting at it during rush hour, um, and it very possibly could hit any car because there were cars all over, parked and moving. That was expressed in Stevens, but in this particular case, I think we are bound by the facts, and the facts in this case show the very close proximity of all these individuals to the building, but it's not just the bar. We have three buildings. That storage trailer was a building. The bar, obviously, was a building. And I respectfully disagree with counsel's description of where the bullets went related to- What testimony
0: to... is there in the record that says these victims were by the house or by the trailer?
8: That was the testimony of Sorum, O'Brien, and Legiza. And would ask the court to look very carefully at that testimony where so how they how far away
0: them. were the victims from the house in terms of distance? How many feet, yards, how far away were they?
8: I can't tell from the record, how far they were from the house. It possibly would be on the diagram with measurements done by Mr. Bacon, the defense investigator. But what I can tell you, if one looks uh, at exhibit three um, and similar exhibits in exhibit 2214, one will see that that bullet hole in the chair lines up directly with bullet hole E in the fence, and that is directly in line with the house. That house was directly in that line of fire of the appellant in this particular case. And so that was directly at, and certainly was in the direction of that house. And just because a bullet goes through something before it goes in the direction of a building or a vehicle, um, that doesn't make any difference. If what it's do you reckless. Make of
7: our, what do you make of our case law that says, that describes this element of at or toward as the element of target? Are you, is your contention that the defendant's target here was a house or a building?
8: Or a car? Well, clearly not a car. But that it was a building? Well, first of all, I would suggest that trajectory doesn't matter. What does matter is at or near, um, and the reckless discharge. And in this but particular case... But what do you make of our case law that says, that defines that element as
7: targeting a building?
8: I, I don't see the case law... Hayes,
7: well, Tau, they all, they both describe that element as the element of, of, the target of the, of the, of the discharge. I would well, say... I, maybe the better question is, is your contention
8: that, missed, that the defendant here targeted a building? He shot in the direction of, he shot toward a building, and as far as the neighboring residents go, uh, that bullet went directly in towards that vehicle. And but I would say that Vang suggested... that target Vang that house? No, but... Okay, that's what I... Under wonder, Vang... So your
7: contention is not that he targeted the house? No. Or that he targeted the bar?
8: No. Okay. But under Vang, I would respectfully submit your decision there indicates that it doesn't matter. But was
7: that really the holding of Vang? I mean, that was saying
8: actually didn't look at actually ask that specific question right. Vang did have a footnote that indicated that it doesn't matter if he shoots at the individuals and misses, and takes the risk of hitting a building, and that is why I would suggest that Vang directly applies here. And I don't know why the court would footnote and stress that particular point uh, unless it well we make some a difference. Lot. Well, that may be. <laughs> but I do read the footnotes too. But, um,
2: counsel, when I look at the language, um, because at or toward follows recklessly discharging, to me that shows that the at or toward doesn't need to be targeting. It just means that you, you've in carelessness, have, have done that thing, but you didn't need to have that intent. That's the whole purpose of the recklessness in, in the drive by shooting statute. I, I agree,
8: the, the point, is that um, the shooter simply has to recklessly or consciously disregard the risk that he may hit a building or another vehicle. Well,
7: but that can't be what it is, that you may hit a building. That's what the at or toward is about, right? It can't just be that you might hit a building, right?
8: Well, that's true. You you take those in juxtaposition, at or toward and reckless. You take those together in juxtaposition. Which means that you
7: have to have, like, recklessly that, you're, that the, you're, you're targeting toward a building.
8: Well, correct, correct. But not targeting at, targeting in the sense of toward or in the direction of or even near. You take that risk. You know it's a risk, but you take that risk. And here this individual shot through a narrow gap, remember the diagram indicated that that was eight feet, 10 inches wide, and he's even over closer to the building than the middle of that, which would be four feet, five inches. That is very near. And yeah, so what
7: you just said, though, is that he wasn't shooting at the building, he was shooting at the gap.
8: He was shooting in the direction of individuals, and he was shooting in the direction of three different buildings, and he came very close.
7: Well, he can't have been shooting in the direction of three different buildings. I mean, One building's over here, one building's over here, one building's back there. He can't be shooting at all three buildings.
8: He's shooting toward them, and the issue is how close. And that was a factual issue, and I would submit that this is a sufficiency of the evidence review, and I would submit that that is a jury question. And I would submit (coughs) that unless the jury acted unreasonably in making that determination, then this court should uphold uh, the jury's determination and finding of guilt. So, counsel,
3: your position, as I understand it, is that the definition of tort is in the direction of, right? Correct. Okay. So, let's imagine that I'm in my uh, backyard with my BB gun and there's an airplane flying about 20,000 feet above me. and I take that BB gun and I aim it at the airplane and I shoot the BB gun. Have I um, fired a shot toward the airplane?
8: You have, but it has to be a substantial and unjustifiable risk of hitting. I'm just
3: saying as a definitional matter, have I shot at the airplane? And you have it, shot toward, toward, toward the airplane. Yes, you have. Okay. Now I... Um, take my BB gun and I aim about a foot ahead of the airplane, have I shot toward the airplane?
8: You have also shot toward and in the direction of the airplane. But the question in that becomes the other part of the definition is whether that poses a substantial and unjustifiable yeah, I know risk. that's where
3: you want to go, but I'm, I'm focused strictly on the definition of the word toward.
8: But I, I agree with you with, with those points.
3: Take uh, Ms. Rosenberg's hypothetical shooting toward the, or shooting near the flag. Let's say it goes, she's aiming one foot to the right of the flag, and it goes one foot to the right of the flag. Has she shot toward the flag?
8: She has, because there is a risk that that could still hit the flag no matter where she aimed. How about six feet to the right of the flag? Potentially.
3: And How that- about ten
8: feet? Perhaps not, and and that is where the. So facts what's the ru-
3: what's the rule of law by which you determine whether six feet is in, is torn and ten feet's not?
8: The rule of law doesn't have to apply to that. The rule of law is at or towards, and it is the application of those terms to the facts before the jury that the jury determines, because this is a fact question. We know what the what the terms are, and then the jury will apply the facts to those terms as instructed so by So you the shoot court. in the
3: direction if there's a risk that the bullet might hit a building or a su- whatever the statute provides.
8: A substantial and unjustifiable risk of causing injury to a building or other individuals as has been described in the case law. And I would submit that If we do take a look at the exhibits in this particular case, it does show that the trajectory of at least the bullet that went through the arm of the chair impacts C and D contained in the BCA diagram and E, which is in the fence and the uh, edging around the fence. uh, Those photographs show that that building there is directly uh, in line um, with that particular residence. And I would ask the court to take a look at Exhibit 3, Exhibit 189, Exhibit 191, and Exhibit 170, which is the diagram.
0: Counsel, if we rule in your favor in this case, doesn't that effectively mean that any shooting in the city is going to be a drive-by shooting?
8: I would say not, Justice, um, because we have the facts that are limiting the holding in this case. A holding applies to the particular case, And in this particular case, we do have a situation where those bullets were fired in the direction of what I would describe as three buildings and individuals were standing close to the building. Three feet away from the back door is very close. And this individual fired a volley of six shots recklessly in that direction. Two bullets hit Mr. Johnson, at least two bullets hit Mr. O'Brien, and two bullets didn't.
5: So, counsel, if I'm understanding you, we do not need... uh a limiting, as far as a measurement, because it's limited by the the, the law that, as we currently have it, applied to the specific facts of the scenario.
8: That is exactly what I am saying, and I think that this court has adequately interpreted the drive-by shooting statute in both Hayes, indicating that the first clause of that statute is the operative clause, and in Vang, indicating that a person uh, can miss the intended target and still be shooting in the direction of a building, and I would submit that is exactly what happened in this particular case. And I would simply point out that Bang had indicated, and I just want to quote one sentence, a person can simultaneously intend to kill someone and recklessly discharge a firearm in a manner demonstrating a conscious disregard of a substantial and unjustified risk of injury to other people and other property. And I would submit that that is exactly the situation that we have here. We have the intent to kill both Mr. Johnson and Mr. O'Brien, and at the same time, we have the reckless discharge where the um, appellant took the risk of hitting any of the three buildings that were near and in the direction of where he was shooting. And we do have the neighboring residence that was directly in his field of fire.
3: Counsel, you uh-huh. uh, indicate that um, one building that he shot at was the semi-trailer. Um, Can a building have wheels on it?
8: It certainly can. And in Hoffman, uh, that was a motor home, and that was designated as a building uh, even though it was a a mobile home and could be moved. In this particular case, as both the testimony, well, let me say the photographs indicated, um, as well as some supporting testimony, this was used for storage. And if it's sufficient to be used for storage for items associated with the bar and with a uh, an entry door built into it with stairs, uh, it would be sufficient for providing shelter for the people putting uh, stored items in there and taking them out of there. And plus, uh, the photographs will show that this was, uh, the front end of this was up on blocks, so it was used as a permanent structure.
2: Council, was this theory uh, presented to the jury about the semi-trailer being uh, a building? I I didn't see anything in closing arguments about it, and uh, I I, I don't think it was uh, a theory at trial.
8: I think you are correct, Justice. I don't recall that, but I will note that both um, Sorum and O'Brien stated that the building was used for storage, and multiple photographs do show uh, the rebuilt door, the stairs, and the No, I
2: understand that it is a building, but I don't think that was argued um, below, and— Um, do we have the authority to uphold, uh, this verdict on a, on a different theory on appeal?
8: It would seem to me that there are facts in the record, as you indicated, that do justify the determination that that was a building. Um, it is up to the jury to determine the facts in this particular case. Um, And I certainly believe that the facts that were available to them supported their verdict and they could well have determined that that was a building. But in any event, I would submit that the other two buildings certainly support the jury's verdict. Uh, The neighboring residence was directly in line of one uh, bullet um, and there were shots fired within about three feet of the back door because we know that's where Mr. Johnson was um, and we also know that's where uh, Mr. O'Brien was when they were hit, and they Mr. were each Hersey, hit by two bullets. Mr. Hursey, if
6: you could, would you touch briefly on the prosecutorial misconduct argument, and um, and, and address the, this concern? The prosecutor does say, and, and granted, it's in it's in rebuttal, but the prosecutor does uh, say in closing that. Um, uh, she wants to make sure that that uh, the jury is not focused on uh, emotions, and that uh, defense counsel was trying to play on on the, on their emotions. And so the issue is whether or not those com- those comments were belittling of the uh, of the appellant's defense, which of course is impermissible. And I guess my concern about those comments is that his defense was that it was self-defense and that he was frightened. He and his testimony, these people were charging the car, and one of them, according to, again, Mr. Waiters, had a weapon, and he was fearful, and so, uh, to some extent, defense counsel had to argue uh, in, in trial and in closing, um, they had to show that fear, because that fear, of <coughs> course, has to be a reasonable fear in order for him to prevail on his self-defense claim. So for the prosecutor to then come back on rebuttal and say, well, he's just trying to play with your emotions, uh, doesn't that in some way, or at least potentially, belittle or disparage um, his self-defense claim?
8: Justice, I would say no, uh, respectfully, but I, I would say in the context in which you was stated, it changes the flavor of that. She just didn't say, oh, that was emotional in that closing argument, don't pay any attention to it. She didn't tell him not to pay attention to it. Uh, The prosecutor simply said, you will be instructed to make your determination uh, on the evidence in this case. And that's exactly one of the instructions that the district court gave, which is a standard JIG instruction. In addition, most of this court's jurisprudence in Mayhorn, uh, Salitros, Porter, uh, they talk about the prosecutor appealing to the passions, the emotions, and the prejudice of the jurors. And in this case, the prosecutor actually did the opposite, just ask the jury, you know, make a dispassionate decision and determination based upon the evidence that has been presented to you. And I would submit that that is essentially what prosecution standard 3-6.8C of the ABA standards say. And I would submit that that's what the prosecution was attempting to do um, with the language that was given here. And even if that happened to be error, and that is up to this court to determine, um, I would submit that it's harmless beyond any reasonable doubt because this was a very strong case with three eyewitnesses to the shooting, much physical evidence of the defendant's own testimony that he shot both victims, although he claimed in self-defense, which... Well, it's a,
4: it's a very strong case relative to the murder, but the drive-by shooting piece uh, is a question of first impression here relative to the terminology. Am I right about
8: that? That is an issue that this court will have to determine. Yes.
3: So you're saying, Counsel, that we've never upheld a, a conviction for drive-by shooting at or toward a building when there's no evidence that any bullet hit a building?
8: That is the difference between Vang and this case, but this court did footnote. So we've never
3: had a case like this before where, where the bullet never hit a building?
8: That's correct. Most cases are different than the other cases. Rarely do you see a case, I would imagine, that is exactly on all fours. And the difference between this and Vang is that, in the state's view, he shot toward buildings um, and sometimes he hit his target and sometimes he didn't. But he recklessly endangered the buildings in this particular case. And no, he didn't hit a building with a bullet in this case, but he came very close and he consciously took that chance.
7: So what, what I think my conceptual problem with this case is kind of in a felony murder context. You know, So you're convicted of first degree murder, you go away for jail for life without premeditation, right? That's what felony murder allows you to do. And in the, o- the other kind of predicate felonies are clearly distinct kind of crimes where you have a, you're committing a burglary or an aggravated robbery. So there's, there's a thing you're doing first and then someone gets killed. And here it seems, in this case, it's flipped on its head. The thing was, he was trying to kill somebody and then it just happened that a building was nearby. And that's what I'm really struggling with in this case, if that makes sense, but if you could help me out with that.
8: Justice, I, I believe this court dealt with that issue Uh, in State v. Harris, if I'm understanding the the query correctly, and in State v. Harris, this court had indicated that it doesn't matter if the um, predicate crime occurred first, if it occurred later, as long as it occurred during that course of conduct, that is sufficient to satisfy a felony murder charge. So I believe this court has dealt with that problem previously in Harris, and as long as both of those uh, occurrences happened, the killing, and then the predicate crime, um, the statute is satisfied. But
7: I guess it, that I th- I, I, that's, a, that's a, a good argument, but it also seems like the, the, sh- the shooting here, the shooting of the bullets here, was the you know in burglary you're going in and doing something different, right? It's not about shooting the gun in aggravated robbery. It's about doing something different. Here it's the shooting of the gun, and I guess it partly goes back to what Justice Anderson's question is. I mean, this is going to be a tool that prosecutors can use any time there's a shooting in an urban area with buildings to take a second degree murder, an intentional shooting of someone, and turn it into a first degree murder. I mean, and maybe that's the legislature's decision, but that just seems, it seems like we're giving the prosecution a pretty powerful tool to turn you know, a, a limited term of prison into a life without, getting, without any possibility
8: of release. Justice, I, I would suggest that the, the, if this is a powerful tool, it was a powerful tool that the legislature intended to give to prosecutors. But prosecutors are always limited by the jurisprudence of this court and I would submit that this court gives guidance on the interpretation of various legislative acts And enactments. counsel, would not you
5: agree that this has been in place for quite some time as have urban areas and that we have not seen the fallout as the court is worried about?
8: That is true. Uh, this statute uh, and unfortunately drive-by shootings happen all too frequently and the case law reflects that. Um, but um, we have not seen Um, the misuse, I would say, of this particular statute based on the case law coming out of this court and the Court of Appeals that have by and large uh, upheld those convictions. And again, um, we are subject to this court's interpretation of the various statutory terms and certainly between the legislature's uh, enactment of the statute and this court's interpretation and application of it to various factual scenarios is how practitioners Uh, prosecutors, defense attorneys, and the lower courts uh, all uh, react and interact with to make sure that we're doing the best we can to follow this court's guidance, and I would submit that it varies by the factual circumstances in each particular case, and this is a particular case that varies somewhat on its facts from Vang, but I would suggest that Vang strongly informs the court's determination in this particular case. It is correct that we do have a factual difference, but uh, this court can give all the practitioners in lower court's guidance by its determination as to whether the jury acted reasonably in applying the law given to it to the facts of this particular case. And I see my time is about to expire. I would respectfully ask the court to deny the defendant's request for relief by dismissing counts one and two and reversing the remaining counts for retrial. Thank you.
0: Thank you, counsel. Uh, Ms. Rosenberg, you have five minutes for rebuttal.
1: Thank you. This case is a misuse of the statute. It is very unfair for this court to be asked to turn the word toward into vicinity of or proximity of such that no one has any notice of when they fire a gun whether it's going to be considered near enough to a building but isn't that to what be charged juries are with- for. Pardon?
7: Isn't that what juries are for? Is to take the word toward and interpret it in a reasonable way. So it doesn't doesn't the fact that we have a jury put limitations on what that vicinity could be?
1: No, the jury doesn't decide the law. The jury is instructed to you to We're not, add or well, toward. what they're
7: instructed, it has to be add or toward, right? And then I'm, the jury has some discretion as kind of peers to decide what toward means in this particular context.
1: In this case, they only have the discretion to decide that toward means what it does mean, which is a plain English meaning in the direction of. They cannot decide that the word toward can mean in the vicinity or in the proximity of. They can't decide that toward means if I fire, again an example, if I fire at the flag, that toward means that, that uh, the marshal, we can consider that the marshal, I fire toward the marshal. They can't decide that if I fire at toward the flag of Minnesota that toward means in the vicinity of that I could have hit any of these people and and we would charge that. So if the legislature wanted that, they could have easily drafted a statute that said firing at toward or within 10 feet proximity of a building, just as they define school zone, uh, park zone or housing zone by limiting the statute to at or toward in the direction of we look at the trajectory of the bullet and that's what the state did at trial they had their expert testify the trajectory was east to west and we know that appellant's trajectory was limited by the fact that he's in the car and there is that small window and I would also like to to state that Again, the house was not behind the fence and asked the court to look at these these pictures, which are very clear. Um, Toward does not mean proximity or vicinity or near. For this court, on a case-by-case basis, to look at facts and decide. Well, in this case, mm, the bullet was three feet from the building, that's okay. In that case, it was five feet from the building, no good. In this case, two feet, and we're going to have inconsistent results. We have a lack of due process. We have an unconstitutional so is statute. Your counsel,
4: is it your position then, in a case uh, under this statute, there needs to be evidence that the bullet struck a building?
1: No, not necessarily, because we're looking at the trajectory, so if if the bullet, is fired toward a building, but it lands right in front of the building, that could possibly meet the statute. Um, if there's a chair in front of the building and that bullet uh, goes into the chair and stops such that the trajectory was to the building, but the chair interrupted that, that could also be toward. What toward is not is that I fire, as appellant did, I fire at Mr. Johnson, who is in front of the window of the car, and then we say, well, Eb's bar, which is four or five feet to the left, that's included in toward. That's what happened here. And so
4: there's no, so your position would be in this case, there's no evidence that the bullets were in line with a building.
1: Exactly.
3: Counsel, and, you've been doing a lot of shooting during your argument today. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say you you have a gun, fire a shot, and. It, the bullet flies by my ear, about one inch away from my ear. Is it reasonable for me to say that you fired toward me?
1: No, no.
3: No? That would be unreasonable for me to say that when it the depends, bullet passed uh, by my ear an it's inch? It the
1: facts and circumstances. If you ducked your head or you flinched, then it might be toward. But again, we need a bright line here in order for this statute to be constitutional. If the legislature decided not to give a range, not to use the words proximity or in the vicinity of, if it only used the words at or toward which it did, and we look at Stevens and we look at Vang, we see that we have to look at the trajectory. And one uh, evidence of a trajectory is that the bullets actually strike the building. That's what happened in Vang. The court said that corroborated it. In Stevens, what corroborated is the victim saying, well, I saw the defendant lean out the window, and he fired the gun. And he's behind us. He's chasing us. He wants to shoot the victim. That was toward. We have no cases where this court of the Court of Appeals had said at or toward means nearby in the vicinity of because, again, we don't know what that means. And, and, and that's why this court has had these questions and have tried to ask, responded. well, What about if it's three feet away, one inch away, five feet away? This court is not the legislature. It shouldn't rewrite these statutes. It shouldn't make these decisions. The statute was carefully drafted and carefully limited. And it's unfair for the prosecution to have shoehorned this defendant into a first degree murder conviction when the evidence is not there. So I see my time is up, and I would ask you to vacate uh, the first-degree murder conviction and um, dismiss that charge. Thank you.
0: Thank you, counsel. Thanks to both counsel for the help that you provided to the court in this case. This matter is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course.